بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقدة من لساني يفقه قولي All praises belongs to Allah سبحانه وتعالى We praise Him and we seek His assistance and guidance and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the adverse consequences of our deeds Whomsoever Allah guides none can misguide and whomsoever Allah misguides none can guide and peace and salutations be upon the final messenger, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. Uh, brothers and sisters in Islam, salamullahi alaykum wa rahmatuhu wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon you all. Taqabbal Allah minna wa minkum salih al-amal. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us our deeds, accept our umrah, our intention, our tawaf, our sa'i, uh, the du'as observed during uh, the umrah, and all other uh, invocations and supplications and remembrances of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless our time in Mecca and bring us back to Mecca many a time whilst we are in good health and good iman. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Um, this program hosted by Tazkiya Tours, um, is experiencing, I suppose, um, in our diary day one, right? Because we won't count uh, the arrival and uh, the umrah that you needed to do, and then uh, your rest period. So day one in terms of the lessons that we will we will share uh, together. Um, inshallah, these lessons are there to complement um, the land that you are in, the space that you are in, the environment that you are in, everything right now um, is there to develop your heart, your mind, your soul, yourself. Um, these lessons will complement that development insha'Allah. Tomorrow and the day after you'll be visiting um, uh, different parts of Mecca. Uh, these visits are also designed uh, to uh, develop uh, your entities as a human being. That you've detached yourself from an environment and you've attached yourself to um, a better uh, environment, an environment that's conducive uh, to you and your relationship with your Jannah and your Akhirah. So inshallah, we will be having these uh, lessons, uh, short bursts, inshallah, deep dives. Um, uh, and perhaps everything that will be shared will be something that you know or true to common sense. But sometimes things are not considered common sense unless we detach ourselves from certain environments and uh, apply ourselves into other um, environments. The theme of this particular uh, Umrah trip is blast from the past and uh, in particular Sira in the 21st century and that's why we've used this title blast from the past that we will be providing uh, for one and all lessons from the life of the best man who walked the face of this earth our beloved Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam but then deduce from um, his life lessons that are applicable uh, in our life today, especially the lives that we live uh, in the places that we came from. Uh, to kick off proceedings, we'll have a Quran recitation by uh, young Abdullah Umar, and inshallah he's going to read from Surah Al-Fatih. Um, and ayat in particular pertaining to uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bringing into reality the dream that he gave the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about Mecca, and Makkah becoming uh, a Muslim land. Uh, Bismillah.
So uh, these ayat uh, set the theme of our time uh, together, um, especially in, in Mecca. Uh, in these uh, ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the dream of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam true, in that Mecca became a Muslim land and the Muslims entered, and they entered this land performing Umrah, and they entered uh, this land um, having done a deed that they ended by shaving their head like you all have done after your umrah or shortening as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says some shortened uh, their hair uh, after uh, their umrah and uh, these are appropriate ayat uh, to open our, our, our journey together with because uh, this land was a land occupied by polytheists those uh, who uh, worshipped not just one idol but many an idol those who never had any system, even in the worship uh, of these idols, anything that they feared they would uh, take as a god, anything that amazed them they would take as a god, and perhaps we, seen, we see this today in some um, places on the globe, uh, people who take anything they fear as a god, they take it and they create something that resembles it and start worshipping it, it might be a snake it might be some animal um, or anything that amazes them uh, they do the same with that, so there was no real system in even what they called their religion. Uh, this land was a land that was not even considered a civilization. It was a land in the, mis in, in, in the middle of desert plains between what the world knew as civilizations. On one end, you had the Roman civilization, and in the opposite direction, you had the Persian civilization. And both these civilizations were not interested about this group of Arabs living in uh, lands that were not even fertile for agriculture and uh, lands that were filled 
with uh, what they call desert bandits, people who would rob caravans that were moving through this area. They saw them as people that were not worthy of their attention, of their time, of their resources, and they were left to be. This is the reality of the land, uh, brothers and sisters in Islam, that we are in right now. And let's not forget that this land was um, uh, always a special land from uh, the earliest of times and then later on when Ibrahim alayhi salam came and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, revealed to him to build the Kaaba with his son Ismail alayhi salam and let's not forget the story many many years before that of Ismail alayhi salam and his mother when they were left here by Ibrahim alayhi salam upon the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without uh, food, without drink they had with them limited supplies, limited provision and Ibrahim alayhi salam turns his ride around and he walks back to the land that he came from. And uh, he um, doesn't leave uh, his young son nor uh, the carer of the son, his wife at that time with an explanation. And she calls out to him and says, um, you are leaving us behind. And he walks away unperturbed, uh, without being disturbed. Why? Because he knows he's following the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And she repeats this question until she says, Did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ask you to leave us here? And this is when he turns around and leaves them with the affirmative. And at that point she knew. And this was the true practice of tawakkul. This is the true practice of tawakkul where you take the means and you put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whatever means they had with them, they had taken. And alas, the time came for them to put the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala into practice. So this was a land that was developed by giants, giants upon whose shoulders you and I perhaps uh, imagine trying to walk on. And then this land uh, experienced a culture of retrogression by a people who chose to worship idols at the very spot where that, that, that holds the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the symbol of Tawheed. Brothers and sisters in Islam, as we said in our live session before you arrived, when you announced the talbiyah and you said, Labbaik Allahumma Labbaik, you are answering a call that was made by Ibrahim alayhi salam upon the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the talbiyah that you recited up to the point that you began your tawaf was a talbiyah, a calling of tawheed. For the Quraysh, they also practiced uh, this umrah and they practiced the hajj, but their calling was a calling of polytheism was a calling of shirk. It was a calling that uh, in their capacity uh, acknowledged their gods. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came with the talbiyah of tawheed. And that is why in it there's a manifestation of this reality. La sharika laka labbaik. Inna alhamda wa ni'mata laka wal mulk. There's this manifestation of tawheed uh, announcing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to everyone around that there's no one worthy of worship besides one Allah. And then also acknowledging that indeed all ownership is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's Malik and he's Malik. He is Malik Yawmiddin, the, the, the king of uh, the day of judgment and he's Malik Yawmiddin. He's the owner of the day of judgment. And there's a difference between Malik and Malik because someone can be a king but it doesn't necessitate absolute ownership. A king is a king but he doesn't own your money. He doesn't own your property. But Malik Yawmiddin gives us a new meaning to this uh, uh, announcement that we make in every salah when we say Allah is Maliki Yawmiddin He's the king of the day of judgment when we understand him as Maliki Yawmiddin as well He's the owner of the day of judgment then this is absolute sovereignty this is absolute lordship this is uh, absolute 
um, kingdomship in that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he is the king in <coughs> the capacity of being an owner as well subhanahu wa ta'ala so this is what you were announcing and you're announcing this as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did because when the Muslims did their umrah they did their umrah with this Kaaba filled with idols and surrounded by idols <coughs> and this place run by a people who uh, revered these idols so can you imagine the atmosphere here of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the few Muslims who were treated as expats who were kicked out of this land this was where they were born and bred but they were expats when they came back and they're going around this Kaaba announcing Tawheed and here we are hundreds of years later doing the same thing so this is the land that we were in that it was a land that was a land of Tawheed with the Kaaba which is a symbol of Tawheed being run by a people that chose to worship idols and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened it to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that after 23 years of prophethood or uh, towards the end of uh, the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and him being a prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens this land all the idols are smashed and all those uh, who were against the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are forgiven and many enter into uh, Islam and Mecca and Medina is officially uh, 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 considered Muslim lands and about this land after that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said La hijrata ba'd al-fath there's no hijrah there's no migration from Mecca after today meaning Mecca is now open it will be a Muslim land until the day of Qiyamah no one needs to migrate from it because before that they would migrate to Medina because they couldn't stand to live with those who worshipped idols and persecuted them for this uh, saying La ilaha illallah so these are the ayat that we hear and this is the message at the opening of our time together that when you go to the haram and you observe the tawaf uh, uh, you will see people maybe facetiming maybe skyping uh, you know people doing selfies with the Kaaba and so on and so forth don't take that path you be a person walking around the Kaaba understanding that this at one stage was filled with idols this is the same place that people uh, uh, practice disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we have been blessed to come here and walk in the footpaths and the footsteps of the pioneers of the newest Muslims the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een indeed they followed the way of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and taught us that message for this particular uh, lesson another takeaway that I want you to take uh, to consider uh, at the outset um, um, of your time here in Mecca is the concept of nurture versus nature and this is especially important in terms of where we, we, we've come from the different lands we've arrived from and the different lands that we will go to because this is a constant battle are we a product of nurture or are we a product of nature what defines us as human beings and the answer to that question brothers and sisters in Islam is that we need to be products of the fitrah we need to be products of our natural disposition that pure disposition that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us upon and that disposition that Allah sent prophets and revealed books to protect because the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us that kullu mawludin yulad ala fitrati that every son of adam is born every newborn is born upon a natural disposition a disposition of tawhid a pure disposition that finds it natural and normal to worship one Allah finds it natural and normal to accept Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the only one worthy of worship 
to accept that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one in His Lordship. He is one in His worship. He is one in His names and attributes. There's nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's nothing that has a share in uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal, Al Wahid al Qahar, Al Ahad al Samad, Al Ladi lam yalid wa lam yulad, wa lam yakullahu kufu wa ahad. There's nothing like Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are products of, that, of, of, of this fitrah. This is our reality. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent prophets and revealed books to recalibrate the fitrah. Because no doubt our environments can, can negatively affect the fitrah. And that is why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the same hadith, فَأَبَوَاهُ His parents. And we can, through uh, analogy, uh, deepen our understanding of this and further translate the hadith as saying our environments affect the fitrah and thus a person becomes a Christian or a Jew or a fire worshipper as the Prophet wasallam said in this hadith so our environments and no doubt the first environment of any newborn is the environment of his or her parents it's the environments that make you who you are but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't leave us astray because of this reality that the fitrah can get corrupt a virus can be planted into it right there can be a virus that's planted into it that affects the dna of the fitrah allah sends prophets and he reveals books to recalibrate this fitrah that the message of the kitab is not something strange to the fitrah and as our scholars say that the relationship between the fitrah and uh, the revelation is like the relationship between the teeth of your upper and lower jaw. When you close your mouth, your teeth are not at exactly the same, uh, they're, they're not at the exact same design, but when you close it, it close, there's a conformity, there's a, there's a cohesiveness between the teeth of your upper jaw and the teeth of your lower jaw. Obviously, that's in natural circumstances. In today's day and age, we need braces, right? If it's not, if it's not like that. So the point is that when, when you close your jaw perfectly, you find that there's cohesion, there's synergy between the teeth of the upper jaw and the lower jaw. That they're not the same thing, but together they, they, they unite in a mighty way uh, with a mighty relationship. This is how our scholars have explained our relationship uh, or the relationship between the fitrah and, and, and revelation. That in reality, the fitrah doesn't find revelation strange. And revelation is of two types, direct which we have in the Qur'an, and indirect which is via the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam because everything the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said is revelation as well about the religion we consider this revelation because everything about the religion was taught to him by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the life of the messenger his speech his actions then the revelation the quran this is not strange to the fitrah if the fitrah ponders over the message of revelation both direct and indirect with objectivity, meaning in a way where the fitrah allows itself to be guided, the fitrah won't find the message as strange. So in this discussion, are we products of nurture or are we products of nature? Nurture, what do we mean by nature? Are we products of our environments? Nature, are we products of our DNA? Are we products of, 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 of the makeup? The scientists, the atheists and those upon... Uh, the scientific paradigm, they say, we are products of the, your DNA. That's what you're products of. You are what your DNA wanted you to be. And you do what you do because life is about preservation of the DNA. That's what it's about. 
Why do you get married? Why do you have children? They find some way to link it up to science because the DNA had this desire to, do, to replicate itself to ensure existence because you will die. So it puts you in a, in, in a, in a system to get married and then to have children as a result of it. This is, this is protection of the DNA. Uh, let's not digress because we might say some things that needs, uh, might need deleting afterwards. Uh, we can discuss that in other gatherings. But, uh, you know, Allahu Musta'an. In any case, this is what they say. Then the people of nurture, the philosophers, they were of the opinion, right? The Greeks and, 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 and those that followed their way, uh, philosophy, they were of the opinion that you are uh, a complete product of nurture. And obviously, uh, this happened through observation. But as Muslims, we look at the life of the Prophet wasallam, and we say, this was a man who lived amidst idol worship, amidst a people who went round this Kaaba clothless, without clothes. Because they were a people that claimed to put what made sense to them before anything else. And it made sense to them not to wear clothes because the purest clothing they had was their skin. And anything other than that was not pure. And they considered this Kaaba sacred even though they dressed it with idols and filled it with idols. But they claimed to follow their, uh, their minds. So he lived amidst the people who, who did tawaf, clothless. He lived amidst the people that treated women as property. He lived amidst a people that gambled and practiced a, 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 a culture of, uh, of, 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 of oppression. In that the strongest ate up the rights of the weakest and everyone applauded what the strongest did and no one felt sorry or any remorse or any empathy for the state of the weaker person. This was their way. But this wasn't Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And this is where my evidence comes from. That he taught us that a Muslim is a product of his or her fitrah. That the Prophet sallallahu never became part and parcel of his people. His fitrah guided him enough to make him feel that this is wrong. And that is why he would climb the mount. And you will see uh, Jabal Nur, the mountain that houses the cave of Hira. And that is the, uh, the cave in which Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq was revealed in. That the Prophet ﷺ would go there to get away from the chaos of misguidance and reconnect with his fitrah. That the voice of fitrah is always there calling you towards guidance. Calling you towards that which pleases Allah. But the chaos of misguidance drowns out that voice. It's like you might have Quran playing, but if somebody comes with loud music, the Quran is still playing, but it might drown out that sound. So you won't hear it. Right? This is where you are, brothers and sisters in Islam. You are here to have an opportunity to connect with your fitrah. You have removed yourself from the hustle and bustle of life. And you've brought yourself to a place that allows you to be a product of who you should be. And that is a true worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person that doesn't let their salah slide for the sake of money or business or any other activity. A person who understands this, that success is in salah. That I can't go back towards being a person that treats salah as, as a side thing in my life. That when I finish playing, I will pray. And when I finish working, I will pray. And when I finish doing some other aspect of this life, I will pray. You can't go back. To, this is the place where you need to ensure you get the realization. And this is the place where you should get that realization because we might find you an excuse when you're back home to say that the hustle and bustle of life has kept you occupied. There's some goodness that you've done in your life. 
There's some dua that someone has made for you. That Allah has picked you to be his guest and brought you to his house. Which is only a place of guidance. This is the place where no one comes and is considered to be at a loss. For whatever reason. Even if you came for some business trip. But you are amidst a people and amidst a place that whatever your situation is, you're only in a win-win situation. You have to go back connected to your fitrah. You have to go back with your identity. When I travel to the lands that you come from, many people ask me about this, about them and their children especially, this concept of an identity crisis. Who are we? This is where you come find out who you are. This is where you come find out that you are a servant of Allah, not servant of your desires. Right? And I think we limit the discussion when we talk about identity crisis. Because we talk about, am I uh, uh, a British Muslim? Or am I uh, a Muslim British? Taib. Don't restrict the discussion. Are you a servant of your desires? Is that your identity? Are you a servant of Rabbul Alameen, the Lord of the Worlds? Who you will return to one day? Who are you? What is your identity? Don't limit the discussion to the nationality uh, concept versus my religion. Because in reality, nobody is stopping you from being who you can be if you want to be that person. Irrespective of what nationality you hold. Well, let's not say irrespective, but I'm talking about with regards to the crowd that I have in front of me. Right? There's freedoms given. But at the end of the day, do you, I, do you come from an identity crisis? Are you having an identity crisis? Where are you with the command of Allah? Where are you with regards to music? Where are you with regards to social interaction? Do you look after what pleases Allah or doesn't please Allah? Where are you with regards to your free time? Because the servant of Allah is a paradise builder. We build Allah with every second that we experience, with the waking of every day, with the sleeping of every night. Why? Because we do what we do as Allah wants us to do it and because of that Allah rewards us. Are we going to be those people? Are we only going to be people who build Jannah when we come for Umrah and Hajj? And let's be honest, how many times are you going to come? Nobody wants to get to the Jannah and see barren land. Why? Because they had years to erect it and build it, and they didn't. And as the scholars say, that the angels are busy building your Jannah whenever you are in the remembrance of Allah. And when you take a break from it, they take a break. And remembrance of Allah is not just the dhikr. It's you doing something with the presence of mind and heart. That you have a Lord who is capable over you. And that Lord is the most forgiving, the most merciful. So you ensure that you do what you do. That in a way that pleases Him. And you seek forgiveness for any mistakes. And this is how we live our life. This is the Muslim identity. And the Prophet ﷺ would go to Jabal Nur. And you will see the distance. Uh, because now you have the clock tower that is pretty high. That is a, a landmark for where the Kaaba is. You will see the distance when we're at the mountain to where the Kaaba is. And the distance the Prophet ﷺ walked for the sake of protecting his fitrah. And that distance that you see will teach you brothers and sisters in Islam that don't expect anyone to do favors for you in life. If you want to succeed, succeed yourself. Don't set yourself up for failure. If you're going to go back home to the same life you left, then if you always do what you always did, you will always get what you always got. Maybe not grammatically correct, but it sounds good. Alright? It was said by Henry Ford, I believe. So if you want to get what you never got, you must do what you never did. This is where you got to plan it, brothers and sisters in Islam. 
You've got to make sure you use these days and use them well. That you go on a rihla, a journey with yourself. The Prophet ﷺ journeyed climbing mountains and hills until he climbed the big mountain as you will see. And he went into that cave to connect with that fitrah. But he didn't know how to worship Allah. But he knew that what was happening was not the worship of Allah. And that is why Allah says to him, وَوَجَدَكَ ضَالًّا فَهَدًا here doesn't mean misguided, because he was never misguided. He was guided by his fitrah, that's all he had. He never oppressed women. He never worshipped an idol. He never drank alcohol. He never gambled. He never did riba. Interest. He never did that. But he didn't know how to worship Allah. So Allah reveals to him, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that we found you not upon complete guidance. And we revealed to you complete guidance. We found you searching how to worship Allah. So we taught you how to worship Allah. Because your mind alone would not have told you to worship Allah by doing sujood so many times at Fajr and at Dhuhr and at Asr and at Maghrib and at Isha. Your mind wouldn't have told you that Fajr is two but Maghrib is three and the rest are four. We taught you how to worship Allah. We taught you to give 2.5% of your wealth and worship Allah in that way. Your mind wouldn't have directed you to that amount. Right? So... Allah says, We found you not upon complete guidance, and we showered upon you complete guidance. We taught you how to live how Allah wants you to live. This is the place where I want you to find it, brothers and sisters. And I deliberately share with you these messages at the outset of our time together, and your time in Mecca, because I promise you, this time will fade away very fast. Before you know it, you'll be on the bus going to Medina. And that's going to be amazing as well. But take from Mecca what you need to take from Mecca, and then take from Medina what you need to take from Medina. And bring it all together on that flight back home. And go home and be a human being that the world will miss the day you die. When I say world, I don't mean the whole world. I mean your world. Because at the end of the day, if you don't bring value as a human being, what is your purpose of being? What is your purpose of being? We weren't sent to just breathe Allah's air and drink Allah's drink and eat Allah's food, brothers and sisters in Islam. We were sent to make our own dent. And that is why Allah called us the best of all nations. It's not just a privilege, it's a responsibility. There's no symbols in Islam. You don't just happen to be born after Muhammad so you enjoy the, t- you enjoy the title, no? like royalty. Get born into a lineage of royalty so you're a prince or a princess. Say, I was born after Muhammad so I'm the best of all nations. No. It's a responsibility. And that's why in the ayah, in which Allah said, you are the best of all nations. Allah tells us why. Because we do three things. You do these three things. You carry the responsibility of the, the best people that walk the face of this earth. That's why now you are the best. Because after Muhammad, there's no prophet to come. The legacy of prophethood will no more be taken off the shoulders of one man. And transferred to the shoulders of another man. Rather the legacy of prophethood. Will be taken off the shoulders of one man. And transferred to the shoulders of an entire nation. That is you and me. O servants of Allah. And O children of Adam. We collectively carry the prophetic legacy. We invite towards good. And we forbid evil. And we believe in Allah. And in this ayah Allah uses the present tense. 
And in the Arabic language, the present tense carries a continuous meaning. Which means Allah is telling us that we are the best, not because we sometimes invite towards good and sometimes do good, and sometimes forbid evil, and sometimes believe in Allah. No. We're the best because we continuously do this, these things. We continuously invite towards good and do good things, and prevent evil and leave evil things, and believe in Allah. There's no bank holiday from this responsibility. There's no weekend from this responsibility. There's no time out from this responsibility. When you go to sleep, it's so that you can wake up the next day and be diligent with this responsibility. You got to become these people when you go back. And that will be the sign of a truly accepted Umrah. And you need to instill it in our young uh, generation that are with you. Same reality. You got to make sure during this trip, for those who brought their children, have substantial lessons with your children. Create the atmosphere that you're going to take back home. I know I'm saying it in front of them. I don't mean to embarrass the parents. But perhaps they can hold you accountable. Right? That during this trip, you've got to have the family time. Where you sit and discuss things. Substantial things. Things that are going to ensure that you meet your children in the highest Jannah tomorrow. That your children become a means of your Sadaqatul Jariah after you pass away. That when you pass away, they live a life that is worthy of your Jannah continuously growing because of the, 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 the seeds that you planted right so start that here if you don't start that here you're not going to start it back home right so this is the place brothers and sisters to start good and this is the place to get the forgiveness from all uh, the evil so uh, in summary in our first uh, lecture together uh, we've spoken about uh, the importance of the land that you're in the reality of what it was before the da'wah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It wasn't considered a civilization. But after him sallallahu alayhi wasallam, it was considered the best, mightiest civilization. And no doubt, we have the globe coming here to become civilized, if I can uh, say that. That's uh, point number one. Point number two, we spoke about nurture versus nature. You are a product of your fitrah. And this is the place to recalibrate your fitrah and develop its ability. Right? And number three, this is the place, brothers and sisters in Islam, to create the program that you would like your life to be upon when you go back uh, individually, uh, as spouses, mashallah, I see couples here, and even as parents for those who have children. And for those who haven't traveled with your spouses or for your children, then it's time for you to have a good conversation tonight when you do link up with them to tell them that this is what I heard and this is my plan for this journey and this is what I plan to do when I come back. I promise you, brothers and sisters in Islam, live a life of substance and you won't want to live another life after it. It's addictive. And I share with you this message, not by mistake. For those who know me, you know that I work chasing a vision. And that is a vision of ignited communities that benefit humanity. Right? This is why I do what I do. And this is why I say what I say. I aim to create ignited communities that benefit humanity. The message I'm sharing with you is to instigate that reality within your hearts and within your souls. That you go back being an ignited individual because communities are nothing but a collection of individuals. If we have ignited individuals, we will have ignited communities and those communities that will benefit humanity. Go become an ignited person. Why? Because you were created by Allah and you are blessed to believe in the way that is pleasing to Allah, brothers and sisters in Islam, we have no excuse 
to be mediocre human beings. We have no excuse to have a mediocre trip here. You're blessed to be here. There's a reason why you're a guest of Allah. Right? So Allah wants something better from you. Something bigger from you. Something mightier from you. Whatever capacity you can do it in. Because Allah creates us differently, differently with different abilities. But wherever you came from, you got to go back in a mightier way. This is the essence of talk number one. Uh, insha'Allah. Uh, tomorrow inshallah we will take a snippet again from the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and build on that in terms of um, us living in the 21st century and um, uh, um, the lands that we're going to go to. Uh, I think we're not going tomorrow for, uh, to Mina and Arafah and, and all the other places. We're going the day after so that will be Monday and inshallah in the bus I'll try and capture uh, some points from the life of uh, you okay? Some points from the life of Ibrahim alayhi salam in terms of Mina um, uh, and Muzdalifa and Arafah uh, that we will visit and uh, also uh, capture some snippets from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in terms of some of the landmarks that we will pass uh, together uh, during our ziyarah, insha'Allah. Hada wallahu a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. If there's any questions, I'll take them, insha'Allah.